Good afternoon, Douglas County. Steve Peck and Megan Silverthorne here, your Lanterns of Liberty, your Sherpas of Sanity, and your North Star of Common Sense. Megan, what do we have to talk about today? Hey, Steve. Some of you know the superintendent evaluation is the only employee evaluation in the entire district that is public. So state statute says that anybody has the ability to check out what the board had to say about the interim superintendent's performance, and that is true with any superintendent across Colorado. So this was a unique experience for me because as a manager and leader in other organizations, I've given reviews before, but those are always done behind closed doors, usually with at most one other person. This one is different because it's going to be made public here for everybody to read. Well, and you've also got a weird situation where you have an employee who is the superintendent, who is the employee of the Board of Education. Imagine having seven supervisors. Mm, Yes, I don't envy the superintendent. (laughs) And then all of them with different viewpoints and wants and needs and expectations. So that's why it was so important for us as a board to get together about a year ago and have a conversation about her goals and the things that we wanted her to accomplish over the course of the year. And the purpose of this evaluation was to ask each other, how has the superintendent done in regards to those? Here's the list that we came up with in September of 2016. And here's the self-evaluation that she provided for us along with other evidence that she gave to us to help us understand how she's achieved those goals. And I really appreciate the fact that there are these four elements because it's all very objective or as objective as we can make it. These four elements were going to be the rubric on which we based her evaluation and then the directors were expected to weigh in with some rhetoric of their own, some text of their own to say, okay, how did Superintendent Kane measure up regarding these four elements? And of course, under each of those four elements were sub-elements, so the total number of things to weigh in on was a lot more than the four. It was probably more like 60 to 20 things. But let's talk about each of the four main elements. That's right. So we had four goals, as you said, and those have been posted on her website for about nine, ten months. She has those on the superintendent website on the district, dcsdk12.org. If you go over there, you can see the things that she's been trying to achieve over the last year. The first one is to focus on the climate and the culture throughout the district. Obviously, we've had some different challenges over the last several years. The last number of years, we've had challenges that we've tried to overcome. And when we replaced the superintendent, when Superintendent Fagan left the district, and Superintendent Kane came on, we wanted to ask her, how can we address some of the things that are driving the climate and culture issues? Mm, I want to talk about more about that later. but And we, we definitely will. Okay. The next goal we had was to lead a stable transition through the interim period. Obviously, with a superintendent leaving, that's a big event for any district, and a new superintendent being hired is also a big event. Superintendent Kane is an interim Anybody who holds an interim spot is there to hold down the fort, to make sure that the ship continues to sail, that things are improved where they need to be improved. That transition period is going to be essential for the next district leader to step up and run a good district. So we wanted to make sure that that person was in the best position possible to make sure that that got done. The third goal was to perform a budget analysis. Obviously, the district has not made a secret about it being a very tight budget the state funding, the local funding, lots of challenges going on, lots of conversation to be had with our constituency. That was something that we wanted to make a goal of hers, to reform the budget, to have an analysis of where all the dollars were being spent and then see what we could do about it. And the final goal was to establish conditions for the potential of a successful mill levy override and bond election in the future. Not to advocate for a tax increase. That's our job as a board if that's something that we're going to do. 
but we wanted her to have information that she could get out to the community in such a way that presented a clear and accurate bite-sized picture of how the district is doing in terms of its finances and the types of needs that it might have in the future depending on future conditions. So a couple things I think need to be said about Superintendent King. She's an engineer by professional training and was a, uh, what, what type of an engineer was she? Software. Software engineer for over 10 years and then I don't know the entire story, but at some point decided I'm going to start a charter school and founded American Academy. It was a smash success, opened a second campus. Uh, this is the Cliff Notes version here. And really one of the indictments against her that has never held any water with me is, well, she's not a PhD. She's not an EdD. She does not come from the educational establishment. And so there's always those that look at her resume with an eye of skepticism with the sense that is she really able to lead a school if she's an engineer? And of course, to that question, I think absolutely. We need more people like her, somebody that comes from outside the field that looks at problems with a fresh set of eyes and with a, a set of experiences and skills that might be uniquely suited to tackle the problems. Well, I think that one of the things that we've seen nationwide with all types of organizations is that a transformational leader can come in and not necessarily be from the background of the organization that he or she is transforming or trying to otherwise fix, or even to hold down the fort, as we said earlier. Superintendent Kane had a passion in her heart for educating kids, so she started her own school. She did that in this district back in 2004, and that was, as you said, a huge success. They're now opening their third campus, and lots of people want to go to this school. The superintendent has educational experience. She just does not come from a traditional path of becoming a teacher or being a school administrator that a lot of people come to superintendencies having undergone. Right. And I think, again, is a breath of fresh air that she doesn't have that. And I think that makes her uniquely qualified, actually. And I find it an interesting conversation because I don't want to say that individuals with an educational background cannot be good superintendents. But on the other hand, I think it's unfair to say that people who do not have that background cannot be good superintendents. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's also important to say at the beginning of this conversation that when she joined the district as an interim superintendent last September, a year ago at this time, I came on the board two months after she joined and there was an early discussion around what should be done with the superintendency and there was a vacancy that would have been created in the superintendency about this time had we not taken action. And we made the case as a board and decided as a board that it didn't make sense to do an RFP for a new superintendent at that time, right ahead on the eve, essentially, of an election. And I still maintain that that was in the best interest of the district. Why change horses midstream right before a major election when four board seats are up as they are here in November? And even if we did an RFP for another superintendent, what caliber of candidates would we really be able to attract? Who would want to step into a role where the new board is completely unknown? I would, would argue that nobody would. Back in 2009, when I was first elected, this very situation was going on. The superintendent at that time had just resigned. He announced his resignation in August. He actually left the position in October. And the board at that time did put out an RFP, and they selected a superintendent search firm before the election. So when I came onto the board, I was faced, along with other board members, with the question of do we retain that search firm? Do we update the job description or any other things that the search firm was helping us develop? What do we do with this process? As it turned out, we let it play out the way it was, and we let the superintendent search firm bring us some good candidates. 
and we ended up doing interviews and making a selection off of that. But it seems to me like at this juncture, uh, given a lot of the topics of conversation, both in the district and nationwide, I think it would be difficult to attract certain candidates that have that uncertainty with what will the board look like and the board's philosophy look like in the future. Absolutely. If I were a superintendent coming into this, I would want to know, yes, I have the complete trust and confidence of this board. And I think we do that by allowing the public to weigh in this fall and the public will determine what course the district will take. And I would make the case here that a lot is riding, not just on the four board seats that are up this fall, really by extension, the superintendency is up this fall as well. And voters may not know this, but indirectly they are. And in addition to that superintendency, that of her cabinet. So legal counsel and several of the people that work directly underneath of the superintendent will probably either be retained or not, depending upon what happens in November. Well, that's correct. And a lot of people maybe don't know that the board has nothing to do with hiring anyone except the superintendent. So if the superintendent changes, then most, if not all, of the upper cabinet will be up to the new superintendent to determine whether they stay or go. Currently, Superintendent Kane's contract runs until June of 2018. And whether she stays on after that and in what role is up to the new board. A lot of people like Superintendent Kane. I had a gentleman who works at one of the schools tell me he thought that she was the best thing that ever happened to this district, which I thought was really gratifying to hear. Two and three of our current board in their votes they have not voted to put Superintendent Kane under contract. Fortunately, in my opinion, fortunately, a board majority prevailed in keeping her as our superintendent, putting her in and keeping her there until June of 2018. Well, and all of this leads me back to, I think, the discussion that needs to be had. What the public needs to know is, while there was this discussion around extending Superintendent Kane's contract through the June of 18, we had to have a vote on that because either we were going to retain a firm to do an RFP and do a search immediately before the election, or we were going to extend through the fall. Well, it was a 5-2 vote. Directors Geddes, Silverthorne, Peck, Vogel, and Reynolds all voted to affirm Superintendent Kane and to extend her contract through June of 18. Directors Ray and Lemieux voted no. Can you channel their logic there? Well, I would certainly not want to speak for other directors, but I think that there are different philosophies about what different individuals want from a superintendent, what types of background they want them to have, what types of performance they want them to have. And for whatever reason, different directors choose to vote what direction they believe the district should go. And I know there was conversation around people who wanted to begin a search process immediately, but I think we've made the case that we didn't believe that that was prudent at that time. And honestly give the public an opportunity to weigh in and to understand what direction the superintendent search is going to go. Right. And I think it's not an accident that the two people that said no to an extension and no to Aaron Kane six months ago are also the two that really kind of gave surprisingly low marks in her evaluation, well outside the median. Well, that was a surprise to me too, but let's talk about what types of sub-goals and what types of measures that we have under here so that people can understand not only what the superintendent's goals are, but how the board looked at how she accomplished those goals, all the different things that she spent all year working on. Let's do that. And actually, while we're pausing for a second, I wanted to tell everybody, make this public, anybody that's listening to the podcast, that I listened to our last podcast and the number of times I interrupted you were as appalling. So I just wanted to just say, I'm sorry. Because, I mean, there's, you know, getting in and, and getting aggressive, but that was kind of obnoxious. So I will try to restrain myself and, and, and have this be a give-and-take conversation. I appreciate that, Steve. Thank you. Okay. 
In regards to the climate and culture goal, there were several sub-elements. The first one was to create organization-wide practices around cultural norms and communication. Obviously, the point was for her to increase communication to employees and employee groups and personal conduct. She has to model a cultural norm of communication and making sure that people have the information they're supposed to have. Yes. The second one, follow board policy regarding the chain of communication for staff, parent, and community grievances. I don't know about you, but when a subordinate of yours leaps over your head to talk to your supervisor or someone mm. else before they've talked to you, that can be really... That's a problem. That can be very difficult. So she has done a really good job at making sure that the appropriate folks have the appropriate information. Mm. Number three, meet with stakeholder groups and be willing to listen and compile feedback. Right. Something I know that she's done. Early on, she went to all 86 schools within that, the first, what, three or four five months? Five weeks. First five weeks. weeks. Yep, she I mean, was going to several a day. It was really quite a grueling schedule, but she said she had a blast. She kept a notebook full of notes. She got to know everybody, and I think it really paid a lot of dividends for her. Well, and I remember the feedback she shared from those, and I really got the sense from her that she was doing a lot of listening. She wasn't coming to those conversations in those schools with preconceived ideas. She really was there to listen and to hear what kind of changes needed to be made and what was going to be her top priorities. Well, you know something about that. On your first week as a board director, you went to all six of your neighborhood schools in one day. I did. And that was one day. And it was a lot. When you ask for opinions, they'll share them. That's and sometimes, true. They sometimes they're tough opinions. I can't imagine what 86 schools feels like in the course of five weeks. Right. Well, and so we're excited that she did that because she was able to model her 11 point action plan off of that feedback, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. And then the fourth one, respond to feedback from schools, including curriculum concerns. So we talked about that just a little bit already. The fifth one, demonstrate transparent communication. Send the board regular updates with an honest view of the status of the district. Be honest about mistakes and challenges. Communicate honestly and regularly with staff, parents, and community, and clearly communicate challenges and how they're being addressed. So you might be able to tell from the verbiage of that that this was an issue in the past. There were people that put kind of a rosy spin on the way things were going, or they wouldn't give the board all the information. And you don't know what you don't know. There were times when I had a feeling that there were things that were being left out or things that weren't being communicated. And whether that was something that individuals thought we didn't need to know, or whether it was something they were actively trying to fix before we found out, whatever the case may be, that was not helpful to anyone. The point here is to make sure that we, the board, and the, the district have an honest set of information about what's really happening. She does a great job, by the way, of updating the board on all those elements that are relevant, pertinent, and she does it in a concise way that gives enough detail so the board members know what's going on, but not so much detail as to prevent you from opening her email in the future. <laughs> That's right. No, I, and I, I like having an update in the first place. I know that the previous superintendent she preferred to give verbal updates. She would meet with us one-on-one. -on -one. She would provide phone calls with updates, but it was never to the extent that Superintendent Kane is doing. And different leaders have different styles, but I prefer the more comprehensive updates that Superintendent Kane gives. It's also relevant to point out that Superintendent Kane's willing and has a history of meeting with board directors one-on-one, -on -one, as well as I know she does this with individual members of the community, principals, and whatnot. That's right. 
And then the last sub-goal of the first main goal is improve leader and teacher turnover, measured by looking at the number of leader and teacher resignations known at the end of the school year as compared to the number of teacher and leader resignations known at the end of the last two school years, understanding that pay issues cannot be resolved at this time due to funding. One of the things that hopped out of the page at me was the principal turnover. Two years ago, 30 principals left the district, three, zero. That's terrible. Last year, 10 left, and then this year that we just finished, two, two principals left. So going from 30 to two in two years is an astonishing improvement. I'm very proud of her. Absolutely, absolutely. This this is the one section in her review I probably wrote more text than any other, uh, personally. And I think it's something that Superintendent Kane needs to continue to focus on, something the board will still need to focus on with laser-like intensity right. moving forward. But a lot to celebrate, a lot to still roll up our sleeves and work on, though. That's true. I, I think there's, there's a long ways to go. But I think part of the improvement of culture is to say, look, we know that we can't pay people the way we want to because of the district's financial situation. On the other hand, people don't come and go from jobs just because of pay. It might be a huge reason, but... People will stay where they're happy and they feel appreciated yes. and where there's a good culture. So they have other reasons that they stay besides just pay. That's not the only reason. Yes. The way I think about it is, and I might have touched on this in the past, pay is a necessary but not sufficient condition to staying in a job. If you're not making an honest salary or if you feel like your peers in other organizations right next to you in your same zip code are doing considerably better than you, it's going to be really hard to retain talented people, regardless of the leadership structure. People need to be compensated what the market says they're worth. Beyond that, though, people don't just stay. People leave great paying jobs all the time because they're miserable. And sometimes they break off those golden handcuffs and say, forget it. All the money in the world's not worth it to me. And I think it's got to be both. And so the board and the community has to decide, okay, what are we going to do to really put our money where our mouth is? And then obviously communicating a culture of transparency and reinforcing that through actions, I think, is really going to be key in the future of retaining top talent. And at the board meeting on the 5th, the chief human resources officer, Steve Kalila, talked about how over 80% of our teachers told us that they want some kind of performance factor put into how they're paid. Um, right. That's fantastic. What the question is, is how can we do that in the future? especially given our financial situation. What's that going to look like going forward? We're looking at that this year. We've got some great teachers and leaders together to figure out how that's going to happen. That's a conversation that I think the community will need to have over the course of the next year. Yes. And there's just one other thing I want to pause on, and that is there was a, a survey that was conducted at the end of the year. It was sent out to all 70 principals, and 62 of the 70 principals responded to that survey. And they were asked the question, is the district on the right track or wrong track? And they were given four different options, no or somewhat improving or significantly improving. And 100% of those 63 said one of those latter three categories, somewhat improving, improving, or significantly improving. And I think that the truth of, of that statement right there is really, I mean, it speaks volume for the amount of work that Erin and her team has done. I think that's true. They, they have really worked very hard to create improvements wherever possible and to make people feel valued and appreciated and for the new people welcomed to our district. Right. Okay. The second 
set of goals lead a stable transition through the interim period. The first one, collect feedback from school leaders to determine what challenges they're facing. The visits to schools, the survey that you just talked about, several different things, making sure that Erin and her team had visibility into what school leaders considered to be challenges. Yes, there was an expectation that the feedback would be collated and put into a specific action plan and that there would be a creation and execution of a plan to address each of those elements that were identified in that action plan. Right, so those three things were the first three sub-elements of the transition goal. Um, the fourth one is structure the organization based on that feedback. There were some substantial changes that were made to the administration to make sure that schools can run as best as possible for educating our kids. We want some of this stuff to be transparent to our school leaders so that things function in the background, they function well, and the, the, our school leaders have what they need. Yes, and then there was a communication of expectations during the interim period. Right, make sure people know what's going on. And then fill leadership positions as needed to ensure DCSD can continue moving forward. Erin had a couple of key vacancies on her team. In other words, legal counsel, the chief human resources officer vacated about two months after Erin came on, and then different job descriptions needed to be shuffled around and moved in order to maximize efficiencies. Right. So the third element. Third element was budget, and that's on everybody's mind, of course, because when we don't have money, it's very obvious. It's visible. Mm -hmm. So the first sub-element under budget was identify current year savings, measure by comparing against the 2016-2017 projected year end with the 2016-2017 budget completed prior to September 1st. That'll be really interesting to see the way the comprehensive annual financial report comes out, which are the audited statements, and that usually comes out at the beginning of December. But all the work is done before that, so all the information is out. And then our second sub-element, identify future year savings through central administration reductions. Everybody has a, a perception of various degrees of how much administration is spending and how big the, the staffing expenditures are. And of course, there are unavoidable budget expenses like benefits, para, special education, things that are required by law or otherwise unavoidable. Well, you know, th this has always been puzzling to me because even if there, and I contest that, but even if there were needless expenses and expenditures in central administration, you're talking about a $700 million budget. That's right. How much as a percentage are we talking about here? Well, it's not very big. And I was telling someone today at lunchtime, you could eliminate the administration and still not provide the type of pay raises to our teachers that it's, we want. It's silly. I mean, at the federal level, we'll talk about something that's emotionally satisfying. One of the things I hear from Republicans all the time, and I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but it, it bears a point. You know, oh, we need to end foreign aid to all the people that dislike us and give us a hard time from a foreign policy standpoint. That's true. And maybe every one of those dollars is wasted. Maybe they're not. But they amount to like one half of 1% of the entire budget. It's nothing. Right. Even if we eliminated central administration, you can't balance the school district budget on the backs of central administration. So I don't know how that particular argument's gained as much currency as it has. It's particularly aggravating to me because if you know anything about numbers, they don't add up. Well, obviously, salaries and benefits in general are our largest expenditure. What are the administration expenses consisting of and how much can we really cut them? So I know the superintendent and her team did a really great job at going through all those numbers by the spring during the budget cycle and seeing where we could cut, seeing where we could eliminate some of the unnecessary or even less necessary expenses to maximize the dollars going to the classroom. Right. And then the third and final sub-goal for this, there were only three sub-goals for the budget goal section. 
analyze the district's budgeting process and make changes and recommendations where appropriate. Boy, did she do a great job with that. She went through the entire budget, she and her team, and she said that numerous times. I'm going through the budget line by line. I'm going to see what I can eliminate. I'm going to see what I can consolidate. I'm going to see what I can cut. She eliminated department carryover to make sure that we had the most funds possible to go back to the classroom. She maximized the amount of dollars that were going to individual schools. There were a lot of people that were very angsty about what they considered to be cuts to the high school. There, there were no cuts. Right. There were no cuts. Here's what happened. The district changed the value of a high school teacher in the site-based budget documentation that they gave each school. High school teachers cost more money. It costs more money to educate a high school student than it does to educate an elementary school student. With the previous single value for a teacher that was being given across the district in a site-based budgeting document, elementary schools were basically suffering from an undervaluing of their teachers. By making high school teachers cost more money, then it was more equitable to elementary schools and elementary schools were able to get the money that they needed to run their schools adequately. And high school teachers were valued more accurately in terms of the salary numbers in the site-based budget. A lot of people viewed that as a cut because when you reflect that a teacher is more expensive, then the same amount of dollars can hire fewer teachers. People consider that to be a cut. It wasn't a cut. It was an amount of money that more accurately reflected how much specific individuals cost. She also adopted a zero-based budgeting approach, and I had a chance to sit down with Superintendent Kane and review the budget with her, because I had some concerns that we talked about here on this podcast, and if you're interested in those, you can go back into the archives and hear my take on things like school buses and extracurricular activities, which I feel like are being subsidized by the larger community, but that's not a discussion for today. I challenged Erin on some of these things, and I looked her in the eye. I asked her. I want to know, I want you to tell me that you lost sleep over this, that you wept over this budget, and that you wrung every single cent that you could to make sure that our teachers are getting paid as best they could. Because I was not satisfied with the amount of raises, the cost of living adjustment, and the merit increases that we budgeted this year. And I think the new board really has to make this a top priority to take the district to the next level. What did the superintendent say when you asked her that? I voted yes, didn't I? <laughs> That's true. I? I voted yes, and and she persuaded me. And she's in a difficult spot because she has to do a lot with the budget that she's given. And yes, it's a large budget, but taking from one part of the budget to reallocate towards another. I mean, one of the things that we were discussing was not doing our IT refresh every year. You know, a certain number of printers, computers, and hardware have to be replaced because they're on a, something like a seven-year cycle. And if you don't do that, then you have computers that are then eight years old. And it's a one-off cost savings. So there were no easy decisions. No. I mean, really what we have to do if you're going to move forward is get more funding. Right. And that's going to be a strong conversation over, I would say, at least the next year. Oh, yeah. And going into the future, what people want from their education system, particularly as the county grows. Yep. The last goal, establish conditions for the potential of a successful mill levy override and bond election in the future. Now, again, understand we weren't asking her to advocate. What we were asking her to do was share facts with the community. She's developed a great presentation, and she's out there. Here are the different sub-goals. Perform a full analysis on DCSD's current funding as compared to current and future needs. Work with the Joint Committee to assist them in their efforts to provide 
provide a recommendation to the Board of Education. What's the Joint Committee? The Joint Committee is a collection of individuals from the three main board committees, the Fiscal Oversight Committee, the District Accountability Committee, and the Long Range Planning Committee. Those committees together can come up with an accurate set of needs that the district will be having in the future. Number three, develop a funding communication plan and presentation that includes feedback from stakeholders. Yes, and then ensure school and district leaders have a full working knowledge of funding. School funding is a terrible, terrible thing. It's so difficult to understand. I think the average folks out in the community... It's Byzantine. It is Byzantine. The average folks in the community have a hard time understanding it, and, and even our school and district leaders don't always feel confident in their own knowledge. We could do a whole show on that, but we'd put everybody to sleep. Honestly, <laughs> it's not as simple as, oh, here's your property taxes. Those are all going to your schools. It's a lot more in the weeds than that. Property taxes, in fact, only fund one-third of the school budgets. Discuss funding with community leaders and groups whenever possible. So that's the fifth one. And anybody who's been out to community groups, they know that the superintendent has been talking with the community. So the question is, how did the superintendent perform against all of those ratings? Right. And again, the votes are surprising but not surprising, stunning but not stunning. Out of seven votes, we know how the different directors voted last fall, and actually her scores are consistent with those votes. What I asked the different board directors to do was, here's a listing of the goals that I just read. Here's a listing of the superintendent's goals that we all agreed on. All I want you to do is look at those goals and then write a narrative against how well you think she did. The superintendent provided a pile of evidence. I made sure that everybody had a copy of everything that she provided. And then I gave every director about two weeks to come up with a set of ratings. And I've compiled them into a document that's posted on the superintendent's website for any member of the public to go download to see what people on your board of education had to say about the superintendent's performance. I strongly encourage anybody that's listening to look at this document. You can see the raw text from each director on each element there in black and white. Completely unedited. I made a pledge to every director that I would not only provide their feedback verbatim, but I would also attribute it to individual directors. That's something that was not done in past boards and something that I've committed to do. I am proud of the fact that, one, this is objective as it can be. Two, it's transparent as it can be, not just through this podcast, but then it's posted for all to read with flaws and everything. The superintendent was scored on a scale of one to four, four being the highest, one being the lowest, just like our teachers and principals are scored. That's right. It's the same set of expectations. The old verbiage was highly effective, effective, partially effective, and ineffective. Four, three, two, and one. Mm, regrettably, we're not there anymore, but okay, that's another topic for another day. So, Director Geddes, what was his overall score? Director Geddes is extremely impressed with the superintendent. He went through all of her evidence, and he provided verbiage about what he thinks that she did well. He basically thinks she did everything well. Director Geddes gave the superintendent an overall 4.0 rating. Okay, let's talk about you. What was your average? My average was about a 3.88. There were mostly, I thought the superintendent did everything extremely well. And it wasn't just Megan Silverthorne thinks Aaron Kane is great. Everybody knows that I'm the one who advanced Superintendent Kane as my choice for the interim superintendent. But in looking at the evidence that she provided and in looking at the different things that she's done and the actual objective evidence, I can see some areas of improvement. But overall, she's done an incredible job at the goals that we set out for her. Director Reynolds, what was her average? Director Reynolds was similar to mine. It was a 3.83. 
She had a couple of things that she suggested that the superintendent do well. Under Aaron's contract, the evaluation has to include strengths and weaknesses. And I think Director Reynolds did a good job at laying out what she thought Aaron's strengths were and the opportunities for improvement. My average was 3.87, actually just very close to yours as well. And I think the biggest area for growth, it's not hers only, but as the head of the ship, she's ultimately responsible. That's the retention of teachers. And so that's a multifaceted, layered problem with lots of moving parts. It's going to require more than Aaron Kane to figure out and crack the code. A multi-year solution, I think. Yes. Right. So those are the four members of the majority, all of which voted in favor of extending her contract. Director Vogel was the one member of the minority who actually voted for Superintendent Kane. And what was her score? Director Vogel voted for Superintendent Kane's contract extension. And she had some short comments, but she made it clear that she thought Aaron's performance in many areas was outstanding. Her overall score was a 3.71, which incidentally is the cut score for the rest of staff for highly effective. Hmm. Interesting. Right. So directors Lemieux and Ray, what were their scores? Director Ray, as we recall, is a former principal, so he's done evaluation of teachers before. All of our teachers have a rubric that they're evaluated to, and we didn't have one here, so Director Ray's process was perhaps a little bit different. I don't want to speak for him, but Director Ray's overall evaluation of the superintendent was a 2.5, which I consider to be surprisingly low. One thing I will point out is in the evaluation document, the superintendent was given an opportunity to respond to any ratings that were a two or below. And there were several of those ratings, so she's provided additional information for members of the public and for board members who may not have had all the information they needed to provide her with an accurate rating. A 2.5, in my view, is not characteristic of the work that's been done, and I would vigorously argue against anybody that tried to make the case that 2.5 was a complete picture. Well, and obviously your rating and my rating was far higher than that because we believe that she's done an excellent job at the tasks that we've set before her. And I'm certainly not going to try to speak for any other board director, but reading the words that came from, from those directors that scored her lower, I don't agree with those characterizations of her performance, but every director had to come to the evaluation process with their own viewpoint, and it's clear what these two directors think of Superintendent Kane. Director Lemieux? Yes, Director Lemieux is the final director that we're gonna talk about here in terms of ratings. And, and, and Director Lemieux had a similar viewpoint, I think, to Director Ray. In fact, her rating was a little bit below Director Ray's at a, an aggregate 2.25. Well, in fact, that there were two ones and a one 1.5, so three ones. Well, a one is the old ineffective. I don't have the same viewpoint that Director Lemieux seems to have in, in regards to what the superintendent's performance was. I, I'm not sure where she was coming from. And again, all I can do is look at the written comments that she had. I just don't... I don't agree. I don't have the same alignment with her viewpoint on the superintendent's performance. And I think that some of the concerns that she listed, and to Director Lemieux's credit for every rating that she put down, she listed whatever her concerns were that made her provide the rating that she did. And some of the things that she listed as concerns, I would not consider those to be heavy enough that they would weigh a rating all the way down to a one. A one's pretty brutal. I think the public will have to read her comments and weigh those against the task that was set before Superintendent Kane, and then they can make a determination. But in my view, the evidence was thin gruel at best. Well, and, I, and I do find that unfortunate. On the other hand, the superintendent did have a chance to respond, so I think all that is important to read. Overall, no director's rating was thrown out. A little bit about methodology. 
I did provide an overall area, a summary narrative for each goal above the sub-elements. If any director put a rating in there that was not consistent with the mathematical average, I used that rating to factor in instead of the mathematical average. So if anybody's averaging all the sub-elements, um, the ratings on those, then it might be slightly different because I substituted the overall rating in lieu of the mathematical average of the sub-elements. So all that calculation is available along with the interim superintendent evaluation document posted on the website. So we really appreciate you listening. Please share, review, and talk about this with your friends and family. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thanks so much, Steve.